You're now listening to the Stovall Pentecostal Church audio podcast. We hope you enjoy our message this week. Our message this week comes to us from our teaching and discipleship pastor, Pastor Jordan Wood. Have a listen. Why don't you give a high five to your neighbor and tell them you're looking good. You're looking good. I just said good, not looking great. Who said great? Thank you, worship team. Amen. You know, this is our second Sunday in the Advent season, and the Advent season is a lot about anticipation. And we are waiting for Christ to come, and we are looking for his coming. Amen. But even on that first Advent, things weren't ideal. Amen. I don't know what what uh, situation you walked into uh, church this morning with, but it's very possible that it wasn't ideal conditions. I want you to know that despite the circumstances, that Jesus still desires to show up. Amen? Now, it is the Christmas season, or should I say the Hallmark movie season, Um, I wanted to ask, do you think it's okay if guys watch um, Hallmark movies? I'm asking for a friend. (laughs) Pastor Jeff. I want you to know that uh, I have seen every single Hallmark movie. Actually, actually, no. Actually, I've seen one Hallmark movie, which is pretty much the same thing. Amen. Amen. You can get paid to watch Hallmark movies. Why don't we read the scripture? And we don't have it on this screen. We'll have it on that screen. But maybe it's a good time just to let the word, uh, hear the word instead of just reading it. Uh, That's what they did in the early church. They didn't have screens and projectors. And uh, we're in that condition today where uh, we're just going to allow ourselves to sit under the word this morning. Amen? I'm reading some well-known passages. My invitation to you is that we would hear them afresh this morning. The title of my message is Known and Loved. Known and Loved. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels... but do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, And give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Here he gives the description. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. 
It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is, say it with me, love. Let's pray one more time. Father, Father, how can we speak about your love? How can we claim to comprehend it? We could spend a thousand lifetimes, a thousand lifetimes gathering up all the words that proclaim your love to us and it would still fail to adequately define the height and the depth and the breadth of your love. Thankfully, you've given us your word, Jesus Christ himself. Thankfully, you have given us your spirit, the Holy Spirit himself, to make known to us the truth of your love for us in Christ. Apart from your spirit, Father, we could not know this love, your love. This love takes what was broken and rebuilds it. This love takes what is lost and rescues it. This love forgives, turning enemies into children. This love cleanses, restores, provides, redeems. This love forgets the wrongs done and removes them from the record. This love justifies and silences the accusing voice. Father, your love esteems us and gives us a place. Your love teaches us who we are and who we are, who you are and who we are in you. Your love is made a way when there was no way. When we were dead without hope, at our worst, you loved us. So help us today to be rooted and grounded in the truth of your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. God's love is different. It's, I don't want to say it's not unlike what we see in those Hallmark movies, but it's much more than that. God's love is different than what we observe in culture. God's love is different than than the type of love that we live with every day out in the world, whether we're at work, whatever it is. And when we see it, it confounds us. When we see it, it, it's, it's almost scary because we're not used to it. We're not used to this type of love. 
when someone's stuck and they, they, they get a, a flat tire out in, in, in a snowstorm and someone stops out to help them. It's not normal. It's not normal. And the person says, I can't believe you stopped. I don't know why you would bother to help me. Or when someone offers to pay a bill at a cash register when they see the person ahead of them doesn't have enough. It confounds them. This type of love, this sacrificial love, this love that is all-consuming. These are just random acts of kindness, and even they don't really speak about the fullness and the truth of the totality of God's love. Look what the culture says. There's this famous song back in the day. Tina Turner asked the question, what's love got to do with it? She says it's just a second-hand emotion. In, in the lyrics in that song, there's just this disillusionment. Like, what, what does love have to do with anything? Other songs that followed more recently asked, where is the love? We can't allow culture to define love for us. Instead, love is seen in the cross of Christ. Francis Chan when he thought about God's love, he wrote this book and he called it crazy love. Because when we really get a glimpse of God's love and we compare that to what the world and what the culture would suggest love is, we would say, this is absolutely crazy that God would love us that much. We who were his enemies, God turned into children. God's love is not the normal love that we encounter every day. God's love is a passionate, desperate, all-consuming love. It's an all-forfeiting love. God has shown and he's proved in the giving of his son Jesus that there is absolutely nothing he wouldn't give in order to restore his relationship with you and with me. Amen? God in Christ gave it all. The most precious from heaven, God gave it for you and for me. What else would he, would he not give? He already gave that which was most precious. I like to say he liquidated the assets of heaven in order to make a way for you and me. Amen? That is a cause for rejoicing. That is, that is a reason to celebrate regardless of whatever's happening because of how much we realize in Christ God loves us. This, is not, this love is not a cold and detached, indifferent kind of love. It's a love that burns with, dare I say it, ferocity. It's not about what we empty ourselves from. This love is what fills us, what consumes us. For any parent that has ever experienced a broken relationship with a child and all the thoughts and emotions and feelings that accompany that brokenness and loss, even all of that complexity is only a fraction 
of the desperation within the heart of God for those who are still far from him. God's heart breaks for the lost. God's heart breaks for those who are still far from him. He yearns for them. He longs for them. He's, he's moved with compassion for them. This is the love of God. It's not an indifferent, distant type of love. It's a love that is engaged. First point is that God, I want to say, he knows you. We have this idea that maybe God doesn't care about us. He doesn't uh, know what we're going through. He doesn't understand the situation. We're constantly thinking that maybe God doesn't care about us because maybe we're, we've got our eyes on something. We don't see his hand at work. We don't know what he's up to. We don't know his plan. Jeremiah 29, 11 says that I know the plans. That means we don't know the plans. God knows the plans he has for us. But God knows you. It's a great verse in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. It says this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Psalm 139 really expands on this idea. It says this, You, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. Isn't that awesome? Before the word is on my tongue, you know it completely. You hem in behind me and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge, the psalmist says, is too wonderful for me. Too lofty for me to attain. And he realizes that there's nowhere he can go to escape from the presence of God. He says this, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness is as light to you. It will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Amen. God knows you. He says here that 
if we were to count the thoughts that God has about you, they would outnumber the grains of sand. So I had some extra time this week. So I decided to count the grains of sand on earth. Calculated them using some uh, very advanced mathematic. It's called Google. And it's very advanced. Um, seven quintillion, five quadrillion, approximately. You know what that is? That's 7.5 million, 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 18 zeros. That's God's thoughts towards you and me. God is not blind to the particularities that are you. God is not blind to the nuances and the uniqueness that pervades your situation. In fact, he's the only one who knows you completely. He knows you better than you know yourself. In fact, he's the only one who sees things fully and completely as they are. And if we ever come to that place, if we ever come to that place where we fully understand a situation or ourselves, it's only because he enabled us. We can never say that God doesn't know. We can never say that God isn't concerned with us. We can never say that God isn't aware of our situation or our circumstance. God knows full well. Amen? Let that resonate with you for a moment. Because that's one of the key lies of the enemy is just that voice that said, God doesn't care. God's not concerned. He's got other things he's worried about. That's not true at all. God knows you, not just the cool people you look at on Facebook who have amazing lives. Can I just rant a bit? I'm kind of tired of how awesome everybody is. Everybody is so awesome. I don't feel so awesome all the time. So anyhow, I think you, end of rant. That's all I'll say about that. People are awesome, and that's good, and I shouldn't be mad about that. But sometimes it just feels like, God, how come with me things seem so different? I'm the only one here today. God knows your situation. He knows you more than you know yourself. The point is this, that you cannot hide yourself from God. Amen. Yet that is exactly what we try to do. There is no thought we have, no plan we could come up with, no purpose we could scheme out that escapes him. There's no perspective, no view, no detail that is beyond him. His knowledge is perfect. There's nothing anywhere that is not completely disclosed to him. There's nothing we can do that can hide us from God. Look at Genesis. Well, you won't look at it, but you'll hear it. Genesis chapter 3, unless you have your Bible with you, verses 1 through 10. 
talking about the, the account of creation and Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 is where we, we see the fall. It says this, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say? Just pause there for a moment. This is exactly the point where the enemy tries to come in in our lives. God has spoken to you through his word. Confirmed it by his spirit. You're here in church and you get a word from the Lord or you're reading your Bible, you're out, you're having your devotion, you're praying, and God speaks to you, gives you a word from God. The enemy comes and says, did God really say? Is that really God or is that just you? The word of God is what helps us to determine whether that word was from God or whether it was just us. Because the word of God divides even soul and spirit. Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. You must not touch it or you will die. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat it from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. We'll stop it there at verse 10. Here, even in his response to God, Adam is still trying to hide. Notice Adam said, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid. But Adam heard God in the garden many times before, and yet he had no fear. It's not a stretch to suggest that this wasn't the first time Adam was naked. Yet the difference here is that on previous occasions, Adam had no cause for shame. Adam does not say, I was ashamed because of my sin. So I hid. He said, I heard your voice and I was afraid because I was naked. Here is a clear example, church, of how sin and shame can lead you to not make sense. When we sin, we experience shame and then we don't make sense. We start pointing at other things that aren't the real issue in an effort to conceal the truth. The truth is that nothing in Adam's external situation changed. Instead, it was the disobedience of God's commandment that was sin, which led to shame, which led to Adam's own attempt to cover himself and to hide from God's voice. You see, he covered himself and he hid. In this interaction, God asks Adam the question, where are you? Not because God didn't know where he was, Remember that God knows us. 
Instead, God's questions are an invitation for us to learn what God already knows. Isn't that good? God asks questions for the sake of intimacy and in some way to reveal his glory. In the Gospels, Jesus asks about a hundred questions, roughly. One of the more notable ones, is, examples, is when he asks Peter, first he asks him, who do the people say that I am? And they give him a few options, and then he turns to Peter, he says, but what about you? He asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. God's questions are an invitation to revelation. God asks the first prodigal, Adam, where are you, my son? Here it is God who initiates the interaction with Adam. It is God who goes after Adam, for his great love compels him. God knew Adam's broken estate, and he longed to cover him and restore him. God was moved with compassion, and he called out to Adam, where are you? We see this love, one of the clearest passages we see God's love in Scripture is the parable of the lost son. And I just want to focus right in on the climax of the story. If you don't know the story, I encourage you to go back and look. It's in Luke chapter 15. Here's a wayward son who takes his inheritance early, goes off and squanders it. And we catch up in verse 20 and says, when he returned to his father, so he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son looked at his father and said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Psalm 86, 5 says this, You, Lord, are forgiving and good, abounding in love to all who call on you. From the entire household, it was the father who recognized his son first. In his rags, in his shame, in his nakedness, in his brokenness, despite all the dirt, the father knew him, even from a distance. The text says that when he saw him, he was filled with compassion. He was overcome with compassion. The sense of the passage is that the father was just filled with love for his son. And before he could even speak, the the father abandoned every cultural convention of decorum and he ran to his son. The father embraced him and kissed him. The father never asks, where have you been? The father never asks, what happened to the money? Instead, the father says to his servants, this is my son, and he deserves the best. 
Bring him the best robe and cover him. Here, take a ring, the sign of my own authority, and place it on his hand. Equip him with whatever is lacking for the journey. Bring forward every tangible expression of my own wealth and sacrifice it for the sake of celebration because my son is back. My son was dead and he has returned to life. This was us, church. Ephesians 2, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved, and God raised us up with Christ and seated him seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do church. God didn't just forgive us. God was moved with compassion. God embraced us. God kissed us. He raised us up and seated us with Christ. He restores us fully as joint heirs with Christ. God clothed us in his own robes of righteousness and gave us the sign of his own authority. This is the amazing grace of God. This is the magnificent love of God. It is all made possible by the victory of Christ. The amazing wonder of it all is that God is not only filled with grace upon grace, but with truth. It's not only that God loves us, it's that he knows us fully and loves us still. Jesus is full of love and full of knowledge for us as well. It says that he's full of both grace and truth. In John 1:14, it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That's Christmas. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what makes God's love so powerful and so awesome is that he knows us in truth fully and completely, yet he loves us. There is nothing in you or about you that would cause God to stop loving you. God has covenanted his love to you. There's nothing in you or about you that would ever cause God to stop loving you. If you agree, say amen. God will never, ever give up on you. Because of what Jesus has accomplished, nothing can separate you from his love. You are justified in Christ. Do you hear me? You are justified in Christ. Because of the love of God, 
you are justified in Christ. You have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. And get this, here's the, here's the kicker. Jesus himself prays for you. Isn't that awesome? Jesus himself intercedes for you. Even if you got no one else praying for you, Jesus is praying for you. And you know what? That's really all you need. Just one person with God is a majority. One person in Christ is enough. Scripture bears that out, by the way. In Christ, our shame has been nailed to the cross. And we, again, we do not nor cannot come to God in our own righteousness. Before God, we were all sinners. What good would it do for us to cover it up and try to mask it? When you receive the love of God, fear cannot remain. It must be cast out. This is what the Spirit of God does in us. Remember, I'm just taking you back to the story of Genesis. Here, Adam sinned, and the first thing that he, he, he does when he, he, he experiences that shame is he tries to cover himself with fig leaves, the story says. You know that the fig tree is like the national, it's like the national tree of Israel. And uh, Israel is known to be a religious culture. In other words, I'm making the connection between the national, sim national tree symbol of Israel, which is the fig tree, and the idea that this is sometimes what we try to do too. We try to cover ourselves with religious works. But God had a different plan. Instead, he covered them with skins, and that was a type and a representation of what the covering that would eventually come in Christ the lamb slain for you and me. The works of man can never achieve righteousness. Religious deeds is not what does it. If it were possible, there would be no reason for Jesus to come. The fact that he came, the fact that Jesus on Christmas Day, that first time, was born into the world is a testimony that all religious works could never, ever achieve the righteousness of God. We needed a savior. It's a good amen right there. It's a good amen right there. It's okay. I want to just briefly touch on three passages and then we're going to close. This talks about the role of the Spirit of God in our lives because I feel like even though we have these platitudes and this truth, it's sometimes difficult for us when we, when we, when we fall or, or fail or we have an insecurity or we have a fear and yet we then t try to mask it because we don't want people to see or, or, or what it, whatever. We try to put up a front, a mask on because of our insecurity. And our insecurities end up coloring everything else in our lives. They become the mask that we see through ends up changing the perspective of everything else in life. The way through that, the answer to it, is to understand that God knows us fully and completely and loves us. 
says this in 1 John 4, 13 through 18. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone, acknowledge, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have the confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. If we're experiencing fear, it's because there's still something in us that needs to be perfected in the love of God. That's why we're talking about it. Romans 8, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. See, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Instead, he, gives, he turns enemies into children. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power and love and self-discipline. King James, English Standard, it says, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Each of these passages teach us that the sign of the spirit of God within us is the seal of his love, and there is absolutely nothing to fear. Last week we heard that several times in the Christmas story the angels declared peace to them and said, fear not. We saw Linus drop his security blanket when he was telling the story of Christmas and said, fear not, over and over and over again throughout all of the testimony of Scripture we are told that despite what we see with our eyes, despite Satan's lies in disguise, despite your family ties, because when the appointed time arrives, we're all going to drop to our knees just to see the sun rise. Fear not, they said. Despite what we may see with our eyes or our hearts ought not to be troubled by the circumstances we face because our God is greater, his love is secure, and the spirit of God is available to break the power of fear because kindness, peace, and love are all fruits of the Holy Spirit. This is the, what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart and my heart. He's, he's, he's causing fruit to flourish. He's working it out. There's been a song in the last couple of months that's really been profound for me. And I wanted to share it with you today. Um, we're going to have it on the screen in the back, but I encourage you just to maybe even close your eyes and, and dial in on the lyrics and just let it minister to you now. 
this message has touched you today and uh, you're looking for prayer, I'm not going to invite you forward this morning. I just invite you to stand and we're going to pray together in just a moment. You say that I've been dealing with insecurity. I've been dealing with fear, anxiety. And I just need God to work his love in me, his acceptance in me, to know that he knows me, to know that he knows my situation. God knows you and he loves you. He knows you fully. He knows the situation and you better than we can even know it. His thoughts toward you outnumber the stars of the sky or the sand of the shore. And would you just raise your hands today and say, I, I receive that love today. I accept the fact that God, you know me. I'm not trying to hide. Today, the masks come off, God. Today, I'm not hiding anymore. I'm not trying to cover myself because I want the covering that comes from Christ. I want to be robed in those robes of righteousness today. From the inside out, Lord, do a mighty work today by your spirit. You've got not given a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind, and that's what we need today. Church, here we are once again it's Christmas. And during the season of Advent, we celebrate the anticipation of the birth of Christ the King. Yet for many, Christmas can be a difficult and painful season. And I want you to know that even at the first Christmas, the circumstances were less than ideal. Yet that's the beautiful part, that even in the messiness, even in the brokenness, even with all the dirt, of our lives, Jesus shows up. He's not ashamed. Often it's not the way we have planned things to unfold. Christmas comes regardless. It may not be an ideal situation for you today, yet his presence today invites you to intimacy and asks the question, where are you? As we move together forward this Christmas, where is your heart today? Has fear and insecurity gripped you? Have you heard God's voice and attempted to hide yourself like Adam? Are you fighting off shame and guilt? Have you covered yourself and made attempts to mask the weaknesses you see in yourself? Sister, brother, receive the love of God today. The love that casts out fear, the love that is not of this world, a love that knows you better than you know yourself. Nothing we can do can hide us from his love. His questions invite us to a glimpse of his glory. Jesus, full of grace and truth. Return to God and allow his perfect love to free you from shame and cast out all anxiety, all fear, all worry, all doubt, and let the fruits of his Holy Spirit flourish in your heart. Can we stand all together now as we close in this song? Let's sing together, amen. This has been the Stouffville Pentecostal Church audio podcast. For more information about Stouffville Pentecostal Church, please visit our website at www.spcfamily.ca. 
As always, you can subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcatcher, including Spotify, Google Play, and the Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have a great week. God bless.